Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI. The Murphy Brown Podcast is so meta. But let me clean that pun right off. These are like special occasion shoulder pads. Kiki cookie corky. These other characters living full complex lives, but if it's not happening to Murphy, we don't care. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season two, episode 26, Going to the Chapel, part one. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the end of season two. Wow. We made it. We're here. We finally made it after, I'm not going to even count how many years it took us to get here. But you know what? What a, what an ending. What a season ending to make it to. Very much so. And interesting enough, the only true, I mean, other than like finale cliffhanger to seasons, but the uh -huh. sort of only true kind of two-parter. I think that a lot of people are watching the show in reruns or online somewhere, and a lot of the hour episodes are broken into two parts. It was very interesting to get to the end of the episode and see the, like, to be continued come up on the screen, yeah. because that is not something I associate with this show. I associate it with dramas. Yes, good point. I mean, I know we're getting to the actual yeah. detail of it, but you can tell two women wrote this episode. You can really feel it. Have you seen... There's a trend... It started on TikTok of different forms of the female experience mm. written by men, written by women, and people showing what that looks like. And one of my favorite ones was the look of female rage and how it looks when a man writes or directs it versus how it looks when a woman writes or directs mm -hmm. it, or at least a, I would say a non-male gender writes or directs it. And it is fascinating. And I see that in this episode without jumping too far ahead in the way that Corky and Murphy talk to each other and hold each other's space and yes. also talk about life and and their futures. Agreed. It's it's very different than I think how someone who has not lived that experience would write it. This episode is called Going to the Chapel Part One. And uh, we were talking before that I associate this song with Bette Midler, even oh, though nice. it's not her song. And mm -hmm. it's not in the episode at all. It's just the title. But it's not a Motown song. Yeah, so why? It's a Phil Spector <laughs> song. But for me, this song is Father of the Bride starring Steve yes, Martin. Yes, of course. Yes, yes, absolutely. Also, I was singing in choirs from the moment I could sing. As a choir child, that song is constantly in rotation. So this episode was written by Diane English. You may have heard of her. And Corby Siamis. And it aired May 21st of 1990. And the song at the beginning, although we only hear a part of it. Holland does your Holland. We love to, we love to hear them. This really threw me off because there is no opening sequence. I think I was truly expecting, because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the song this, this week. So that's great. I'll look at the song. And then I started the episode and I was, oh, I was expecting a devil in a blue dress kind of opening where you're just seeing someone getting married or something. Devil with a blue dress mixed with the opening to my best friend's wedding where there's like a cute little like wedding motif of a, a body and hands putting on gloves or a veil being fluffed or something like, but no, we just went straight into the episode. But before we do, I shall tell you about this song. Where Did Our Love Go is a 1964 song recorded by American music group, The Supremes for the Motown label. So this was written and produced by Holland Dozier Holland. It was the first single by the Supremes to go number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Pop Singles Chart in the U.S. It held for two weeks, and it was the first of five Supreme songs in a row to reach number one. 
So is that one, baby love, come see about me, stop in the name of love and back in my arms again. What a run. So something that I found interesting when I was looking at this is that according to Brian Holland, Where Did Our Love Go was written with the Supremes in mind. But Mary Wilson later wrote that the song had originally been given to the Marvelettes. Oh. But Holland denied that, as did the Marvelettes themselves. <laughs> and something I found very interesting was that the producers argued originally over who should sing the song because it had been cut in the key of Mary Wilson's voice, but it was ultimately assigned to Diana Ross. That is a storied history. One of, one of many to come. I also think that, you know, there it is a larger conversation that we hope to have with a, a Motown expert at some point. Yes. Because there is also a lot of microaggressions within that about um, specifically black women and their voices and how they are perceived. That I saw some comments that were not specifically from the people involved, which is why I did not include yeah. them, about the quality of Diana's oh, voice and why it would be preferable, which definitely allude to a lot of tokenism of black women and what they should sound like versus what they don't i would love to have that conversation with someone who is more equipped to speak on that yes and we have been working on that for a while so we hope mm -hmm. to give you that yeah. um probably for season three it is so much more complicated than just uh two people who were squabbling for the lead agreed and not surprising because nothing yep. is ever just sort of you know one noted oh yep. no pun oh no <laughs> i didn't mean to um, but which but note such a serious topic and I just punned. I'm sorry. Well, luckily, we are talking about dramedy, so it is Yeah, hard. but let me clean that pun right off you. I'm sorry. I got a little on you. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Uh, shall we get into the episode? Yes, let's. We open straight into the episode, straight into the action of the elevator opening with our gang, a very despondent team. I would say whatever happened didn't go well, just upon looking at their faces. They all have that incredible bright blue FYI hat. They are in softball, baseball uniforms, except Corky, who is in what I call 80s, 90s cheerleader chic. Yes. It's that knit uniform with the, the turtleneck underneath. It is, of course, of course, sweet Corky. <laughs> and what I love is that, you know, uh, when we sort of repeat this scene... At the end mm -hmm. of season three, in a what I think they were trying to make it seem like might be a similar situation for Murphy as it is for Corky, and then change it, Corky is a member of the team. Mm-hmm. I also think it's so brilliant to see her in this outfit, in this scenario, considering who she's about to meet oh, up with. Oh, yes, that too, you know? which we'll talk about it's in so a second. It's so great to just be like, oh, when he says that she hasn't changed at all, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Case in point. Uh, like, well done costuming and storytelling. It's perfect. We enter the bullpen, and uh, Corky is reminding all of them that the important thing is that we enjoyed fresh air and exercise. It's not about whether you win or lose, and Murphy just storms by saying, yes, it is, and they lost. They lost to morning news people, and they're laughing at us. Miles points out that they shouldn't take it out on Corky. She wasn't the losing pitcher. Mm. She didn't throw the ball onto 39th Street trying to pick Faith Daniels off at first base. To which, shocking no one, our dear pitcher Frank erupts, saying that she was taunting him. Does Miles think he has a wuss arm, that he's not a man? Is that what he thinks? And sweet Jim, <laughs> our feminist, swoops in with, not at all. Anyone who gives up the game to a pregnant woman is a man in my book. I love it because he's so sincere. He's not messing with Frank. He genuinely is like, you're a man. And Frank shockingly storms off. Miles points out that they're all a team here. And honestly, this is an excellent boss moment for Miles. Yeah. 
Miles, look at you, you professional leader of the group. He points out they're all a team. Let's go have dinner at Phil's. It's on him. It was one of those moments where I was like, oh, little Miles grow up. He grow he grow yeah, right up. He's he's an adult now. He's he's being team leader. I'm so proud of him. Corky cries out, wait, she can't go. She has to have dinner with Wide Load Willie. All right, well, we need to unpack that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, listen, you know, when we watch stuff like this, there's going to be fat jokes, right? Mm-hmm. They don't do that a lot in this show. And so it, it struck me and made me a little uncomfortable. But you could also say, well, you know, when he comes in, he pretty much shows her that, you know, it's more than just the way someone looks. It's about who they are in the inside. Although one could say also that she falls in love with him because he's handsome now. Mm-hmm. This this whole scenario is interesting to me because I go back and forth between I'm mad at Corky for being the bully because like I was bullied. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, go Will. <laughs> mm-hmm. He got the sort of, you know, male fantasy, right? Where he he lost all the weight became super handsome, and he got the the popular girl from high school. Go, Will. He was also prepared to to reject hanging out with her. Like, yeah. he didn't come in to prove himself. He came in to be like, as, as we're about to say, but he came in to be like, we don't actually have to do this. Yeah, like, yeah. He actually didn't come in to prove anything. And, and I think that's a testament also to the actor, Scott Bryce, because he, he comes in with an air of that, right? He doesn't come in mm-hmm. with any sort of, you know, arrogance or like, a subconscious, I'm going to get you. He's really just there because his mom made him come. He's in a great place. Yeah. He is confident. He is kind. He know, Like, he he is lovely. Um, I also want to say this joke, because I had a moment where I was like, oh, fat joke. But I also want to point out that there, and I, and I know you didn't miss this, but there is a difference between writers thinking fat jokes are okay. Agreed. And... And writers writing a character who doesn't realize the joke they're making is not okay. I love when characters are not necessarily good people. Agreed. And so when the jokes come out of that flaw. And what I think is interesting about this is Corky does really, in this conversation about Will, kind of go backwards into her high school self. The way she talks about him, the way she mocks him, the way she refers to the yearbook. Like all these different things are very what Corky always was. And I think it's such a wonderful example of what she says at the end Agreed. Yes. about how she is no longer that person. And that's still there. Like they, Corky is a wonderful nuanced character. I've always said, I think she, she is my favorite growth of the entire series, mm-hmm. but she also can, multiple things can be true at once. She can have grown. She can be a deeper person, a kind person, and she can also have moments of being quite shallow and wanting a very specific look and vibe. There's a reason she doesn't go for certain people. Yeah. You know, there's a, all of these things can be true. And I love being able to see that like our sweet, kind Corky was also the popular girl who got to have that choice and got to say those things and not, not have to think about how that affected the other person. When I say bully, you know, I, I should say that Mm -hmm. in sort of like, you know, pseudo air quotes, right? Like, I don't think that Mm -hmm. Corky was the kind of popular person who would make fun of someone. Mm -hmm. I think it's more about, what maybe she said behind his back or or just ignored him and just saw him as one thing. She is someone who is popular and very nice. I think she's a perfect example of white privilege. But, you know, she's a type of girl who was very popular, very beautiful and nice. I think she probably did sign his yearbook because, of course, she did. She wouldn't have been the bully who didn't yeah. or treated him like dirt. But I think she was also complicit in never questioning if those jokes were OK when exactly. they were said in her friend groups. 
And I think she also has spent a lot of her life blissfully ignorant mm-hmm. of what was happening on the other side of those jokes. Exactly. I don't think she was an active bully, but that doesn't mean she wasn't complicit in his experience of being belittled growing up. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean. I love that he's like, you were a bit of a snob. And her reaction mm-hmm. and when we get to that is so funny to me because she takes it like a compliment. <laughs> Like, she's just not listening. She's not, like, she, out of sight, out of mind. She never had to consider what was happening and if that was hurting him. They were just making comments about the fact that this is what, this was the name they gave him and this is what they said about him. And I love seeing, I love that they don't shy away from showing that side of Corky while also showing her growth and depth. Mm-hmm. Corky wouldn't stand up for someone like Will back then. Yeah. But she becomes a person who will. I don't think she'd even think of standing up for No, him. not like, at I don't all. Think she, she would never have considered that you should or could. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real beautiful piece of growth for her and her relationship with Murphy. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. We'll, when we get to it, yeah, we'll talk mm-hmm. more about it then. So, Corky drops this phrase, wide load Willie, and they all are going to need to know more about that. And they ask who that is, and she says, Willie Forrest, this geeky boy she knew in high school. Quote, no one could think of anything good to put under his yearbook picture except that he was an eager eater. Mm. She goes, it's going to be awful. And of course, as our listeners are, if you are even mildly media literate, you know that it's not going to be awful. Yes. Like, you know, with this setup, whoever's going to walk in that door is not going to be awful. Yes. <laughs> Murphy says, oh, Corky, why do you have to make everything out to be a problem? Don't you realize if it's not happening to me, it doesn't matter. That line. I just. so meta. Love it so much, and I. It makes me also go. If the internet could discover Murphy Brown, truly, this would be like a mood. It would like people would. Yes, the internet would make memes out of this. Like they would love that phrase so much. And it, even though it is available now, everybody, you can go on our website and link to the internet database, and you can follow along with us now. In fact, mm-hmm. this episode is uncut. So you may hear Mm -hmm. things that you don't know about and you should go watch the full Mm -hmm. uncut episode. But I digress. Mm -hmm. This scene makes me weep because it's just like, internet, you would love this so much. You would love this so much. I also just love the meta nature of that comment about a sitcom. (laughs) About, like, if it's not happening to the lead character, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it These other characters are living... These other characters living full <laughs> complex lives, but if it's not happening to Murphy, we don't care. Like I just, it's such a wonderful, it's so good. That's great, Jesse. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's that's really good. It's like this is a this is one of the few where it's like this is not a Murphy episode. No, it's not. <laughs> but it matters, and it's the finale. Like think about that. It's not a Murphy episode, really, but it's a finale. It's a wedding. Very. She's sick obviously coming. very, very important to the plot eventually but like this idea of like oh this is this is about corky and it's the finale anyway so corky says it's all her mom's fault she's friends with his mom they thought it'd be a good idea since he's in town for a boring lawyer seminar which honestly that surprised me just a small digression i i assumed that corky dated lawyers but i guess as like a a beautiful public figure she was probably dating like athletes yeah i think athletes but i guess that's older corky Maybe. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, having not seen this episode in a while, I was surprised because I thought that maybe he was, like, in town doing, like, working on a case with a different law firm. Like, something that would be more than just, like, a seminar. Like, Uh that they would be dating. Like, 
That surprised me because yeah, I thought he was in town. I thought he just was in town for something long term. She says, you know what? She will take him to Phil's because at least she'll have friends around when he humiliates her by eating the chairs. Oof. And again, this is, I, I want to reiterate, this is an oof toward Corky, not necessarily toward the yes. writers. Yes. Oh, agreed. I, thank you for clarifying. This is a yeah. great nuance of the yeah. character is being awful, not necessarily I think the writers think that. It's setting up the joke that they fall in love at first sight. It's, exactly. it's just setting it up. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and also the fact that, like, it isn't just, he knows that she was kind of like this. So yeah. it's, you know, they both sort of feel similar about each other. They both yeah. have assumptions about each other's character from high school. Yeah. But they look into each other's eyes and they, I mean, they want to do bad things. They sure do. For the first time. Anyway, so Miles points out that she's forgetting that people can change. You know, Miles in high school was kind of awkward. <laughs> he goes, hadn't really developed socially. Can you believe it? And he does this massive laugh. And everyone just stares. <laughs> Corky says, trust her. Wide load Willie hasn't changed. Right at that moment, ding. The elevator opens. A, sm a tall, handsome man happens to appear, walking up behind her. Should I tell people a small thing about uh, this handsome man? Oh, please do. So as I mentioned, this is Scott Bryce. And he is best known for The Guiding Light. Yeah. I mean, he's a wonderful actor. He's been on Broadway. He was on Reba, Sex and the City. But at this time, particularly, he would have been known as a leading man. Uh, in fact, when he was on As the World Turns, uh, he was paired with Meg Ryan, just to kind of mm -hmm. give people an idea. Like, he is a, like, handsome soap opera star. And I think that that is very interesting that that is who they chose because it fits perfectly. When he entered, and it makes sense that he was paired with Meg Ryan, I forget how boyishly handsome he is yes and it totally fits with the faith ford type the meg ryan type of that like these like yeah they are still they are still read as very young and hopeful and they have their whole lives ahead of them it's it's a different type but it's a very boyish all-american handsome he's not my type but no. he's definitely quirky's type exactly it is 100 i'm like ooh, yeah i get why you find that very handsome i'd be like sure yeah my response is i don't know if you can grow a beard and that doesn't work for me <laughs> she says she used to walk by his locker on the way to cheerleading practice he'd be standing there with his debate club friends telling elephant jokes and laughing one of those snort laughs and she demonstrates kudos to faith what what a, a reliving of the snort laugh and i wrote and the man with a jolly demeanor approaches mid snort demonstration faith is so good in these episodes her her nonverbal acting as she witnesses him <laughs> is so good. She's shocked. shocked. Shocked, I tell you, shocked. The 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 look the full intake up and down of his being as he's talking to her is so, so good. And he says, Corky Sherwood, hello again. It's Will. Will Forrest. And she is, oh, oh. You could tell she has no words. She has no words. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Oh gosh, did I get the wrong day? Like, he is so all-American. Oh, gosh. Like, I just waiting for him to go, jolly. You know, golly yeah. gee. Like, I mean, he he's unfazed meeting these famous people. Yeah, it's incredible. He's right? just such a he's such a he's nice He's just like, man. whatever. She eventually gets out a wow and says that she's hardly recognized him. She goes, you really have changed. And he looks at her and says, <laughs> she really hasn't. <laughs> and she is so flattered she's so flustered like we never see corky flustered which is super fun yeah murphy pounces <laughs> introduce us to your new friend would you like a chair to sit 
that oh just the right ellipses just the right ellipses on there yeah and they all begin to introduce themselves and oh will notices they're on a softball team frank goes there's no fooling you (laughs) what i love about them like the gang in this particular scene is they are just riding the razor's edge between mocking and actually infatuated with him yeah frank asks does he play and he goes yeah yes sir again yes sir Back in New Orleans, he's a pitcher. Well, he was until they moved him to the outfield. And Frank looks at Miles with sympathy. He understands the struggle of being a pitcher. And then he says, well, no one was getting any hits off of me. The rest of the team was getting kind of bored. Who pitches for you? <laughs> and Frank, Frank just all caps, walks away with, I had no defense and I wasn't wearing my usual hat. So Corky attempts to engage him in conversation. And she is just all like heart eyes. And he says he understands if she doesn't want to do this dinner, they can just tell their mothers that they did. And he's he's trailing off, but none of us are paying attention to what he's saying at this point because Murphy is being exceptionally mature and professional behind his back, very close to him too, very close to him, making like faces and arm gestures just to mess with Corky. Like they are acting like her like junior high siblings in this mm-hmm. moment. It's incredible. At some point, Murphy gets, you know, almost gets caught and just goes back to smiling with her hands on her hips. And Corky says, no, she would hate to lie to her mother. And she pulls him away from, from Murphy and asks, what, what did he have planned for them tonight? And this is when he says, well, he remembers her as kind of a snob. And she laughs up like, oh, like, as if it's a compliment. Like she does not register all of the history that's imbued in that comment. She's no, like, oh. she does not. And, he said he planned a fast drive around the White House, a quick dinner in a coffee shop, and then home by 7.30. But that doesn't seem like such a good plan anymore. And Murphy says, oh, Corky, didn't you say you wanted to go to Phil's? And Corky does a wonderful, <laughs> no, Murphy. And she recovers herself and says, no, I, I, I'm sure we can think of something better to do if we put our heads together. Why don't you wait here and I'll just go change and be right back. She starts to walk away and the gang just swarms him. She comes back, grabs his arm and says, you better come with me. (laughs) Cut two. To Phil's. The gang is all at the hero table and Phil notices that they're one short. Of course, Corky. Mm -hmm. So the boys, Frank and Miles are acting a little, Murphy thinks jealous Mm. that Corky has a man. I think they're more sort of acting like our friend is hanging out with somebody else and and, and, and we want to hang out with them. But that's just my interpretation of it. But Murphy is is set that the boys, now that Corky is dating someone, they want her. Seems to be a theme throughout the episode that Murphy believes. I I have a feeling you have a I I have a thought on that. I'll wait till a specific line comes up. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. So apparently Will and Corky have been spending every moment together. They eat all their meals together. They wear matching sweaters. And then Phil is honestly just angry that they've been going to Steve's, which has tablecloths, and they call the basement the Versailles room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Corky comes in in a really fabulous outfit. I wrote the shoulder pads on this particular coat the shoulder pads no, it looks but like, like if a... you look at them next to other shoulder pads in the episode these are like special occasion shoulder pads they are more oh. grand than the other they're grander more grand these are grand shoulder pads they are special occasion shoulder pads i'm telling you the shape is pronounced Corky obviously has an announcement because we know from the title of the episode that she and will are getting married 
Everyone's stunned, which I appreciate. I'm so sorry. We are missing a prime gym moment. Oh, are we? Yes, please go ahead. Okay. She said, when she comes in, she's saying, she's like, I didn't know how to tell you. Should I leave a note? Should I do what? She's like listing all the ways. And then he just like bursts out with, or should I just drag it out till everyone's extremely annoyed and starts to make snide comments? Well, like I'm doing right now. Go ahead. I don't know what happened to Jim, but Jim is over the discussion of Will. <laughs> I always appreciate when Jim gets sort of frustrated to the point where he is not polite. Yeah. Because it shows that, like, he's human, mm -hmm. but also that, like, this must have pushed him so... It's not just that he kind of snaps a bit, because it's not particularly mean, but it's like his inside thoughts just came outside, and yeah. then he realizes that surprised. they did. Yeah, he's like, like he truly is like, yeah. oh, I, I said the inside part out loud. So Corky and Will got engaged at the Air and Space Museum. Mm -hmm. Her ring is a replica of walking on the moon. Incredible. <laughs> Although she really would like a diamond. Okay, no, but we have to talk about that line delivery. When she says, I do want a diamond, though, it's such, there's such gravity to it. It's like she just has this there moment is, where yes. she just switches to, I do want a diamond, though. And then she just snaps right back in. Sounds to me like a spur of the moment thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That they are horny for each other. Uh -huh. And he was like, I need to marry this girl right now. <laughs> There's a reason people get married young in certain uh, societies. It's, she's just adorable ball of fluff. I, I appreciate that it's obvious that everyone agrees she's rushing into this. Yep. Which I had forgotten about because it shows the gravity of the situation. It gives the ending of part one more gravity in the sense of oh maybe she will call call off the wedding well right? and phil has specifically said that it's been weeks it's not been months it's something whatever yes. he specifically says ever since he hit like it's been weeks this implication of the speed of it it's been long enough that it is recognized that they are together but not long enough that they are settled exactly and i i think it's also interesting because usually when you have a romantic storyline, I think Jerry Gold is the best example, mm -hmm. is that it usually takes place over a week, mm -hmm. but the emotional real estate of the characters feels like months. Yes. And this is very much not. <laughs> yes, because Corky says, you know, we're getting married in two weeks, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I would be curious, and maybe when we get um, someone else, you know, to come on and talk to us from the show for another time, if they always knew that Corky's marriage wasn't going to work out. Mm. Hmm. Because now knowing the whole breadth of the series, I, I want to hope that it wasn't like that. It's just that that's more of an interesting story, right? Yeah. Because then this is sort of purely written in the moment and as I'm watching mm -hmm. it. So I don't know if it's because I'm clouded by it that I'm looking at it in a different way or that when I was younger, I didn't see sort of the cracks, right? Yeah. But I'm watching this now and not really thinking it's romantic. I'm thinking, Corky, don't do it. <laughs> You're rushing into this. Yeah, and the thing that I think gets highlighted later when we meet her family is that it's not just Corky who thinks that this is okay. You know, like her family yeah. has no questions about it. Oh, it's so romantic. It's meant to be. They've known each other, you know, since they were children. So of course that's why, you know, like yeah. there is a, I like that over just, everyone around Corky knows it's wrong. It's specifically that this group who knows this Corky, who knows Corky exactly. now, thinks it's wrong and nobody else does. And that 
highlights the fact that there is a only a small slice of her world that actually see her for who she is, even before she does. I love the idea that this group that we think doesn't understand Corky, the gang that, you know, like, you know, have jokes on her at her expense, much like she did for Will. Um, yeah. You know, like that, that they actually know who she is before she does. Yeah. I think that's actually really sweet. It is. And sometimes it's harder for you to see yourself because you're biased. Mm -hmm. So uh, Murphy encourages the gang to congratulate her, which is very sweet, but also shows again that everyone is not really sure this is a great idea. Okay. And shocking to everyone, including Murphy, Corky wants Murphy Brown to be her maid of honor and not her sisters. She has two options. Yeah, because Corky is... She wants the person she admires the most more than anything to stand behind me at the most important moment of my life. It's very love sweet. Them. I love that. And like, it doesn't come across that she's saying it to like get Murphy's ego. Like Corky generally believes it. Mm -hmm. Just like when she called Murphy an oak tree yeah. when she won the Humboldt. It wasn't meant to be mean. She genuinely, genuinely means it. And then I also love that, that Mur Murphy, you know... She says that it's it's a very important time in Murphy's life. I mean, how many times does a woman do that in her life? Once? Twice? <laughs> she just looks at her. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, God, Miles is there. She says it to Miles. Oh, <laughs> uh, what, uh, what to know then that they... Oh, uh, yes. Well, you know, we're going to pretend that didn't happen. Murphy begrudgingly agrees, and, and, and Corky just a little fluffball that she is has to run off and you know it's interesting right she told the gang first before she told her parents uh -huh. or her family you know she ran to tell the most important people in her life and she's got to call everyone and what also drives home that they're not all very happy is you know they're saying goodbye and through very uh, gritted teeth and a smile frank goes do i look sincere <laughs> so good <laughs> so good and then here we are uh in the bullpen so we're back in the bullpen I don't think we know how long it's been, but we know it's within the no. two weeks because that's our, that's our ticking oh, clock. Oh, but I forgot one thing that's important to this scene, but she talks to Miles about the fact that he's like, yeah, that's going to be hard because in a week you're going to Paris. Yes. And she wants out of it. And Miles is very, you know, you really pushed me to, to take this. It's a fashion cover. Oh yeah, that's, that's the line. See, I, I didn't write what was leading up to it. Murphy is the one that encourages Miles to let her get out of it mm -hmm. because that's when she says, how many times does a woman get married once or twice? But but yeah, Miles is not very happy with the fact that she wants to sort of, you know, pull out of going to something that she really lobbied for, which well, is important to the rest of the story. So sorry, well, I forgot that. Yeah. But if you think about it, yeah, she lobbied to be sent to Paris to cover fashion. Like that is no small expense from the network. Exactly. And that, that's, a big, yeah. that's a big thing. I also, in that moment, even though I knew it wouldn't happen, was waiting for Miles to give the assignment to Murphy. <laughs> After she encouraged him to let her go, I was like, well, someone has to cover it. Have fun covering fashion, Murphy. But didn't happen. So we cut mm -hmm. to the bullpen, and Murphy is approaching the coffee station, walking in on Miles and Frank at the table. And Frank is saying that, unfortunately, Wide Load Willie Forrest is clean. He's been doing a background check with his sources. The law firm is respectable. He volunteers two days a week at the boys club and he actually paid his PBS pledge. Is this guy for real? Which man, I don't think we have anyone who listens who doesn't know what the PBS pledge is, but that is such a wonderful joke of the time. <laughs> it is. And it, it made me it realize that I had forgotten that you didn't have to pay up front. Yeah. I was like, oh, right. You pledge it. 
you just pledge it. And then you send a check later. Yep. Miles really thinks this is happening too fast. He says people who get married ought to be required to take a trip together, one involving a rental car and a roadmap. Then we'll see about this till death do us part stuff. And honestly, I fully agree. I agree with him too. But my brain went, well, now there's no map except for the one on the uh-huh. phone, which could still start an argument if you don't agree with Siri. You know Siri. what? I think that people should be required to go on a trip with a physical map without their phone and have to communicate that way. One of the... Oh, that would be great. Oh, that would be great. No, oh, yeah. Like, no actually, you know that, what? Yeah. Go get lost in a desert with a road map. Okay? I, I want to see that. Let's try it. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite pieces of relationship advice back when it was like we would drive... If, if you live in a place with a car, which... My spouse and I don't need a car because we have public transit. But the idea of if you're ever wondering the state of comfort in your relationship, in any relationship, really, it could be family and friendship, is when you're in the car together, turn off the radio or whatever is playing and see how long you can actually just sit together without filling the silence. Yeah, that's a great idea. And a road trip's a great time to learn about that. Uh, (laughs) So I agree, Miles. I think you should be required to do something like that and not get married in the height of infatuation. Now, Murphy... The voice of reason in this episode asks them to give it up. She says, hard as it is to believe, Corky is in love with someone who is not you. And I wrote, boom, because I think that is so apt, when, we, especially in this age of when Harry met Sally, male-female mm. platonic friendship conversations. There is, there is something I think that rings very true for these two men that is beyond just they're jealous. I think there's something about... Within, within that concept, there is something about mm-hmm. platonic male-female relationships that was very, very of the time in conversation in rom-com and mm. situational comedy. Because, yeah, I, I think it's more than they're just like big brothers who think she's getting married too fast. That's a good point, you know, and... It's a tale as old as time. We all love that movie. However, that's what I think, personally, I think that Murphy is on to something with that commentary. No, that's a good point. Because... Yeah, I think they are used to mocking her dates and her her taste. This is the first time they've had to actually take it seriously. And okay, deal with that's fair. Deal with not necessarily Quirky in particular, but deal with the fact that a a woman of Quirky's ilk would reject them in favor of someone like Willie. 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 So she tells them that they need to. Uh, they all need to start thinking about finding dates for the wedding. She asks uh, who. She asks Frank who he's bringing, and he makes a comment that he doesn't know. But they always end up bringing each other to things like this. Has she noticed that? So they they are inspired to yeah. bring quote real dates. I love this sequence. Murphy looks out into the ether. At, I wrote. Murphy and Frank both eventually look rapturously off into the distance, and Murphy says that uh, David Letterman's been bugging her recently, so maybe she'll bring him. And Frank looks off and says, he really hit it off with Michelle Pfeiffer at that party last week. So maybe he'll ask her. And then Miles just looks out sadly and goes, let's see, there's Gail in accounting. <laughs> it's it's great. You, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's that beautiful beat of good comedy where you're like, oh, no, here comes the guy in the center. <laughs> it's also one of the rare moments where we sort of get a glimpse of Murphy and Frank's celebrity life. Yes. Right. Because you know, they and, both say that not in a hyperbolic way. Like David Letterman no. and Michelle Pfeiffer would go with them to this wedding. Like, you know, Murphy was on Letterman and he, he at that time, he always flirted uh-huh. with all of his female guests. 
and but I wrote down, I was like, I need Murphy to date David Letterman. Like, I, I, I need that to happen. Yeah, I need to watch that destruction. <laughs> and he starts into the speech and he says, this is a wedding after all. Everybody knows the person you pick to sit beside you to watch two people make a commitment for a lifetime has to be pretty special. As he's saying this, our dear Carl, the, the cameraman, enters from the elevator and is nearby oh. in the bullpen talking to someone. Murphy notices that Carl has appeared. And I, is this the first time that we see Murphy like openly acknowledge that Carl's in love with her? Like she kind of just like deals with it and is like nice to him. But I, this feels like the first time we've seen her actually be like, oh, he's really into me in that way. That's a good question because I, I'm trying to remember because they did air that stuff out of order, right? Yeah. And I mean, obviously has, she knows it. Like we know she knows it because he said really romantic things to her in the past. But it feels like this is one of the first time where she's kind of like, oh, geez. Anyway, it, it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. But because she sees Carl has appeared, Murphy is now behind Miles, gesturing furiously to Frank to stop talking and saying what he's saying. Frank, unfortunately, doesn't realize until he's trailing off. And Miles has begun loudly responding. Frank, I do not need you to fix me up. I think I am perfectly capable of finding my own date to the wedding. And Carl just perks up like a meerkat and asks, did someone say wedding? Oh, Hello, Murphy. I was hoping I'd run into you today. And he says there's something he'd like to ask her. <laughs> Murphy says my favorite get out of get out of dodge line, which is, oh, oh gee, I wrote Carl. it down. It's the one line I wrote down. Oh, go for it. Say it. Oh, no, 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 say okay, it. Okay, is, oh, gee, Carl, I was just on my way to another place somewhere. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so, it's the only line from the scene I wrote down. I was on my way to another place, place somewhere. Oh, uh, uh, lovely. It's so it's so good. It's so bad. It's so good. And he says, "Oh, this will only take a minute." And Carl, my romantic king, he takes off his hat. <laughs> he takes her free hand, and he says, "It would be my honor to escort you to the wedding." And I just romantic wrote in all caps. King. Carl is an old-fashioned romantic, and I love him. Yes, he is. And then he says, then we could maybe play a few holes of miniature golf together. He's so hopeful. He's so tender. He's so gentle. He's that, that you know, big man who's so tiny and gentle. And I also wrote, I love people who pronounce all the vowels of miniature. And the little subtle thing where they're holding hands and then like they sway their hands back and forth oh. is such a great little piece of comedic business. Sweet to, like, Carl. Accent the scene. Oh, it's so great. Truly to be loved by by the love of Carl. Like to have someone just adore you the way Carl adores. Sweet Carl, my romantic hero. Murphy, unfortunately, tells him she has other plans. And he puts his hat back on. He goes, oh, I see. And he does the like perfect like stage turn downstage. He goes, Damn. I should have asked you last week, but I wanted to be wearing my lucky shirt and it was at the dry cleaners. I hate this shirt now. I love the way oh. he grabs the shirt. Yes. Like it's such a huge gesture. Is it as if he's ripping out his own heart? Yes. I mean, justice for Carl. Carl deserves the grand sweeping love that Carl has always wanted. Yes. And I'm just trying to think like, you know, I don't know the later seasons as well as I know the first four and five. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if he does get a girl. I don't remember what happens to Carl. I need to know if Carl gets a... And if he doesn't, we need to write it. I also, in this moment, was like, all I want is to see a scene where Carl and Eldon just talk about life and love together. 
That would be fabulous. The least toxic masculinity that has ever existed. If someone on Twitter or Instagram can remind us (laughs) about Carl's love life, because we're just not there yet. Does Carl get his one true love? I don't remember. And I need to know. I I need to know. I feel like I have this feeling that he talks about someone, but we never meet her. So like, I think he does, but I forget like when, like far in the season. Mm -hmm. Or if we find out he was pretending to make Murphy jealous. I feel like, like that might, because I might also be mixing that with Eldon when Eldon's dating people and talking about them. Yeah. I just, I, Carl for me is the epitome of, like he is a living embodiment of like, when you find that person, they are going to be the luckiest person in the world. When you, like when yeah. people turn people down and say that, like that is Carl. Carl is, is the man who just like, Man, when you find the person you're meant to be with, they're going to be so lucky. (laughs) We fade out of that moment watching poor Carl stalk away in pain. And we come back up in the bullpen later. I don't know how much later. Well, we know that it's in the first week because they're talking about Sunday. And they're wearing the same clothes. And And the fade out is so not jarring, but not a fade out we're used to. And so... I think that this scene was longer and they had to cut somewhere for time, but they needed this information. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't. So they, I think that this is one scene that they turned into two scenes. Yes. It's, I would love to get the script mm -hmm. and see, but that's my, that's my What I'm referencing is the fact that I realized this has to be the, like the first week because. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because they talk about Sunday. And so there has to be the weekend before the wedding. In the same spot in the in the bullpen, we are at the table in the coffee station. But now it's Murphy and Corky, and Corky is sitting at the table, and she is exhausted. I just want to point out, I love that they are both in their version of the same outfit. Red top, black bottoms, blonde curly hair. It's very devil in a blue dress. Oh God, like, that I... has to be t- intentional. After an episode where they're both in a blue dress, styled their way, this has to be intentional by, by the costume department. Also, it, uh, Murphy's outfit seems very familiar to what Candace wore in the revival. <laughs> Yes. Also, Murphy's outfit, I would wear tomorrow. That's an, like that outfit is back, baby. They're in the same outfit, but for them, it's incredible. That's it's so gorgeous. Funny. I didn't even notice that. You you are really on point for this episode. I'm. Thank you so much. Little, little. It comes sorry. and goes. It comes and yeah, goes. Yeah. So Corky's exhausted and she said she just had to get out of her office for a while. She's being hounded by newspapers and she says that there's a bidding war for photos of her dress. Why would she sell something like that? Mm -hmm. She says, my wedding is a private moment between Will and me and our 350 guests. (laughs) And honestly, especially having not too long ago been a bride Mm. in the age of social media, I agree and I understand. My spouse and I went through a whole thing trying to decide if we were going to send all of our wedding photos to our family. And for us, it was a thing of like, no, those are those are our photos, actually, like, because I don't necessarily want people posting our wedding photos. Yeah, no. Unless I've specifically shared them because people are like, oh, send us the albums when you have access to them. And we're like, oh, no, actually, we'll send you some individual ones. But I do actually understand, like, yes, you have a big guest list and so on. But there is something about, again, I'm going through a big kick where, like, I'm really enforcing my privacy boundaries when it comes to what I share with the world and with the people closest to me. But when she said that, I was like, yeah, I know it's a joke about how many guests there are that she has this big, like, celebrity wedding, but also correct you get to decide who gets to know these things. Well, it's also, you know, which we'll go into with the helicopters at the wedding in part two, you know, this sort of, she's a celebrity, but she's allowed to have a private moment. 
Murphy is heading back from her coffee and she just throws over her shoulder. Just let her know if there's anything she can do, like buy the rice. <laughs> and Corky's like, oh, no, no, that's taken care of. However, Corky's parents are um, coming over for the weekend. So Sunday would be the best day for the shower. I was like, y'all, Murphy, by her face. Murphy did not think about the fact that she had to throw a shower as the maid of honor. <laughs> yeah, this is not a Murphy thing. And she goes, no, the, the last shower she went to was in 1968. She gave the bride a gas mask. When they brought out the cake, they sang Eve of Destruction. The bride's mother locked herself in the car and cried. <laughs> and what I love is that I can't believe Murphy was the maid of honor. <laughs> no, and she says that. the last one she went to, yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, it wasn't just Murphy who messed that one up. So, which I have a whole sidebar, which I won't get into this will not shock anyone to hear that I am not someone who believes in many of the wedding traditional etiquette rules. Mm -hmm. So I, the whole, the maid of honor does the shower thing. Sure. Sure. That, that can happen. But also, you know, Corky, you, you know who Murphy is. You, this, this could have been a conversation you had, or maybe give that to your sister in this. Scenario. I think also <laughs> she, when it comes to Murphy, Corky is very aspirational. Mm -hmm. And also she assumes that everyone knows all the things that she knows. Yeah. So, of course, mm -hmm. the maid of honor would do that. Like, everyone knows yeah. that that's what Just you do. Just throw that out there. Yeah. Bless it. For your ears, I am not going to perform the uh, the series of, of whales that erupt from the Fabulous Faith Forward for the rest of this scene. Pretty great. But basically, she says, but Murphy, she can't get married without a shower. She knew things wouldn't turn out all right. It's all too much. It's not enough time. And she just sits back down at the table and weeps into her hand. And this is one of my favorite moments in this episode. Murphy stands behind her, puts her hand on her shoulder and says, Sunday will be just fine. Hmm. And what I love about this is in any other episode, that would be a belabored Murphy out to audience. Ugh, yeah. It will be just fine. Like how hard it is for Murphy to have to say this. And while that's within her, that particular line is so sincere and genuinely comforting for Corky. It's just like at the, in the final scene where she goes, I will, I won't let you do something you're not ready for. Exactly. This is that first moment where I was reminded that like, Oh, this episode hits different. Yeah. And it's in, it's not just in the writing. It's in the performances. That line could have gone multiple ways. It could have gone the normal way we're used to hearing where it's like she's gonna do the right thing for corky and it's gonna suck for her but she genuinely she genuinely sincerely comforts her in that moment and it's just on a fade out and slowly but it really struck me yeah. it's so kind it's two women taking care of each other yeah so we cut to said shower yes phil's doris looking fabulous and orange the colors in Our this queen. scene is one of my favorite scenes for costumes for I think the entire mm -hmm. series the bright colors they're all just sort of uh, contrasting each other it's it's I mean it's obviously very sitcom because it's bright but I absolutely love it so I'll be spending a lot of time talking about that so to speak <laughs> second time that we're seeing uh, Doris and uh, she's sitting at the bar there is a very badly written sign or banner above the bar that says no men not congratulations yep. not happy shower it just says no men and the font is not mm -hmm. perfect they're focusing on what matters it's perfect i don't i did not remember that from last time uh, will and the boys are around this small little table with the cake and they're eating all the chips murphy scolds them you know they need to go off to their their sleazy bachelor party murphy is in a deep purple suit with a teal top and a big chunky teal necklace fabulous Incredible. colors 
truly my favorite color combo in the world. So I was just living oh, for this. I love it. Also, Candace always looks great in teal, whether it's teal and fuchsia, mm -hmm. whenever they like put her in that color, it always looks fantastic. And then <laughs> Frank says something which always makes me laugh in something from the 90s. He says, Murphy, we're men of the 90s. <laughs> I mean, they do that in the 2000s too. They do? Okay. All right. So Frank says that they're not going to have a sleazy bachelor party. They are going to eat sushi and discuss things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, doubtful. Jim takes Will aside and, and, you know, to talk about his bachelor party, and he stops right in front of Doris. And he goes, not that I haven't told you, dear, about, you know, about everything. And, and she goes, no, 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 she knows what went on at Jim's bachelor party. He ordered three desserts and ate them all. But then, you know, when Jim thinks he's off the hook, she says, uh, and she knows about Ursula. <laughs> and the, the look on Charles Kimbrough's face is, it's very, it's so funny, but it's very subtle, but it's very like, oh, mm -hmm. oh, oh, she knows. But he doesn't look that frightened. He's just a little worried. And she's, yeah. she's not upset at all. Like, she's kind of having fun with it. And I kind of really love, I just love their relationship. I love it. There's no jealousy. You know, she, she's just sort of kind of goading him a little bit. And uh, I just forgot how much I really love Jim and Doris. I and a lot of that is oh, I love their is a testament to Janet Carroll, obviously, and their chemistry. And we'll talk more about Janet Carroll next episode. But sorry, I think I interrupted you. Please. Oh yes, I just I love that they have. I've said this to you before. They as actors infuse into their relationship a naughty little secret. Oh yes. Like you, they and they whether they talked about it or they both just like saw what the other was doing and agreed upon it without knowing. And I think that's probably what happened because they're both just consummate performers and they were like, oh, I see what you're putting down. Absolutely. We are naughty. They put an entire lived experience in the way that they talk to each other that is just so delicious. I love those two. Doris says that they were married in 1961, which mm -hmm. means Doris was like 19 or 20 when they mm -hmm. got married. So they've they've not just been together for a very long time. They've been together through much of their adult life yeah and for her minus a year her entire adult life yeah they look at each other like they know each mm -hmm. other they're not they're not performing a married couple they know each other and later there's a moment where you can see doris and murphy like talking and laughing in the background mm -hmm. and and i love that because it just shows that like murphy gets along with doris and and Jim, oh yeah you know which also shows that how sort of perfectly paired they are right I think mm -hmm. they could have they could have written Doris as sort of this very uh, particular housewife of her generation mm -hmm. Doris has a gravitas and a intelligence that you don't usually see in that kind of relationship of that time particularly for a character that is a guest star if you think about who Jim was when they were young and he was becoming who he was in his field Doris is not the expected arm candy kind of trophy look that you would expect. And the fact that she gets along with Murphy, like she was, you can get, you get this vibe that Doris was kind of a Murphy of her day within, within her, the confines of her life. And I think it says so much about Jim. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And really, it really makes it so it's no surprise that Jim relates to Murphy the way he does 
look at his wife. Yeah, she's a she's a partner. You know? Even though sometimes he mm -hmm. is a little thrown by when she wants to sort of mess with that sort of archetypal husband-wife relationship mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. It throws him, but he does go with it. He he loves her. And then we meet Phyllis. Our other queen. Our other queen. We meet Phyllis, who is the lovely other half of Phil. <laughs> And mm -hmm. you know what's interesting is that I saw the original breakdowns for the revival, and Phil's sister was originally his wife, Phyllis. Uh -huh. And I, I assume maybe they changed it because of who they cast, you know, or maybe not being able to find mm -hmm. an actor, you know, of that age that they felt was, you know, good enough for the role, who wasn't, you know, retired or available. Okay, so she's coming through with, with appetizers. She's loud. She's big. She's everything you would think that Phil's wife would be. In fact, this is the same actress who played B. Arthur's sister on Golden Girls. Because of course she did. Because of course she did. This is Dina Dietrich, and you probably recognize her from so much stuff. Some people from the 70s will know her as the chiffon margarine lady. I don't. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, but I think some people will. She played Mother Nature. She's also in History of the World Part 1 which is one of my favorite sections of it. She also did uh, Life with Lucy, Santa Barbara, All My Children, Life Goes On, NYPD Blue. She was in The Ropers. She's just a staple of 80s and 90s, well, 70s, 80s and 90s television and studied at HB mm -hmm. Studios. And she passed away um, in 2020 at the age of 92. That's so recent. Yeah. So we also learn that Phil and his wife Phyllis have a lovely relationship in which they are both super hot for each other. Okay, here's my favorite part about this Please. scene. When they are hitting on each other, there is the cutest giggle coming from somebody in the audience. Really? Oh, I didn't notice that. It's so cute. Someone is just like, oh. in the, like in the audience watching them. It's adorable. Well, Phil is worried that, you know, Phyllis doesn't know everything because he has to leave. And she's like, no, nah, no, nah, I've been doing this forever. You know, don't, don't worry about me. She goes, do you remember the Pope's visit? If I can handle 200 nuns toasting back Sambuca, I can handle this crowd. <laughs> and it's like, you know why they are married. I believe her. <laughs> he says, uh, what time do you get off, sweet cakes? <laughs> That's the first time the giggle happens. And then she goes, just leave a light on, sailor. Giggle. And he... It's and and honestly, I was giggling oh, too. Oh, it's I was adorable! Like, oh my God, no, oh. <laughs> go get it! <laughs> I mean, I don't know because I didn't watch a lot of adult sitcoms, but like, this show has a lot of older characters who are still hot for each other, and I really appreciate I that. Love that. I really do. I think watching this show. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how watching this show really helped form my perception of maturing mm -hmm. as a non-threatening concept. I think it's changing now, but I think this was thankfully ahead of its time and that we didn't just put older relationships out to pasture in our media and be like, no, they don't touch each other anymore. Why would they? I always remember that there's a speech that um, Murphy gives later in this, this series to McGovern. Mm about how, you know, being in your 20s sucks, but being in your 40s is great. And I, I don't remember all of it, but I particularly remember her saying that in her 20s, she didn't have a decent orgasm. And then her 40s, every single time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. oh, hey. <laughs> like, that's going to be great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yes. Okay, so, so now in walks Corky with her family... 
her adorable, perky, perky, perky family. Now, Corky's in this beautiful blue that at first I Mm -hmm. thought the scarf was part of the outfit, but it's not, as we find out later. And then her mother is in kind of this green, but like neon, kind of like light green neon. That's fabulous. One sister is in blue and the pregnant sister is in fuchsia. And we are reminded that Corky is a middle child, which I didn't realize. And that speaks volumes about her, I feel. Mm -hmm. So we find that she introduced her father, Edward, her mother, Bootsy, older sister, Kiki, and her little sister, Cookie. So we have Kiki, Cookie, and Corky. <laughs> I blame Bootsy for this. <laughs> so um, I'm going to quickly talk about Brian Clark plays her father. When I think of Brian Clark, I think of Ronald Reagan because he has played him four times. Hmm. I feel like I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> That's the funny part. I'm not sure if I have. Like, I, I might have seen him in the James Brady story, perhaps. When was that? That was in 91. Yeah, if I had seen it, I probably wasn't paying attention to it. Yeah. So that's the only thing that I think of. But apparently he's also been in Wings, Becker, Chicago Hope, Suddenly Susan, St. Elsewhere. He's, you know, he's a journeyman actor. Sure. So I'm just like, oh, that guy. But I think that we're both and probably the audience uh, listening are more familiar with Alice Hershon, who plays Bootsy, because she was Ellen's mom on Ellen, who had a, a very significant guest star arc on that show. Like she was on it a lot. Yeah, I knew I recognized her, and I it did not click until you told me that earlier. I was like, oh, of course. It's the first thing that I always think of when I see her. Because apparently she was also on Dallas. Don't remember her on Dallas. Full House. Quincy. St. Elsewhere as well. Had a recurring role in General Hospital. Another sort of journey, you know, journey woman actress. And uh, is still alive. Man, I hope someone calls me a journey woman actor. She's 93! That's what I want. That's my goal. Journeywoman actor. So everyone is so excited to meet Murphy, celebrity. Her mother is shocked that Murphy is is holding a shower in a bar because of her little problem, which feels very much like Corky. And also, can I say my favorite Bootsy moment mm-hmm. is when Corky's introducing her sisters. And she says, my little sister, Cookie. Well, not so little at the moment. And Bootsy does that typical mom thing where she leans and she goes, she's pregnant. (laughs) She like offers clarity (laughs) as if we can't very clearly tell she's very pregnant. (laughs) So Miles, uh, you know, gets to meet uh, Edward Sherwood and acts very sort of manly. You know, oh, yeah, it all went downhill when women got the right to vote. I am Miles Silverberg, you know, trying to be all like, you know, in with the guys. And, God, and he's so bad at being one of the dudes. He's so bad at it. Then Corky's father says, oh, the Jewish guy. <laughs> it's, I'm glad that they went there. I think it's a gutsy joke to make. At, yeah. And it, it also makes you go, oh, I, I know exactly who these people are. Absolutely. He went home and talked about it. Yes. I met a Jew. Went to the big city, met a Jewish guy. Like, I feel like Corky, when she started working there, told them that, her boss was a Jewish man. And they were like, <gasps> because for her at first, that was of note. And now she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't think what about are that. What like? So the, the sisters all sort of announced that, you know, the men can't be there. It's just not done. And then as each sister, including Corky and, and I think her mother also go, it's just not done. They all gesture with their hand like Faith Ford. 
It's crazy. It's Which so I good. Which I really appreciate because you know sometimes on these shows you'll get to a moment like this and then they all create a business that you've never seen a character do. But the fact that this is yep. literally a faith for gesture that they're all copying is just lovely. It's so good. The men leave. Um, Jim yells something about ordering sushi as if you know he's going to be doing something bold and adventurous. <laughs> That's my man. That's my man. We quickly find out that Murphy has not planned a single shower game. She's like, food's there, uh, drinks are there, uh, enjoy, there you go. And so they decide to play poker. And I love the fact that Doris knows how to play poker. Doris is ready to win. And there's, oh, there's also a point where, where when Murphy announces that there's really sort of like nothing going on, where Doris kind of laughs in her drink. Yep. It like she's like yeah that's 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 Murphy like yeah I guess that's what we're doing it's if it's if Doris was a meme Doris would be the meme of someone just like sitting back and eating popcorn and watching the world burn Doris is very aware that Murphy probably should have planned games for these people and is just wasn't gonna say a thing about it <laughs> yeah this is the same Doris who locked Jim in his uh, shed so she could wash her hair yep just yep. leave me alone the for an hour. I love her. I hero. And so apparently Corky's mother doesn't know how to play poker. So Murphy's like, you can sit next to me. And uh, as soon as they sit down, Doris compliments Bootsy's charm bracelet, which we find out is that each charm is a little head and they represent one of her grandchildren. That's when we find out that Kiki's kids' names are Kevin and Cammie. (laughs) And she has places for, for, for for, uh, for Cookie's child, when, when Cookie's child is born. And then the rest of it is for Corky, which I think is really great to show that, like, Corky had made a plan to have a lot of children without actually saying it. Also, I get the impression that is, like, a known thing in the family that Corky is the pretty one who will have all the children. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Oh, that's a good point. I think Corky is, like, the golden child who will be do all the perfect things and have the perfect thing. Like there's something about like, they just assume Corky will have many children. Aside from the fact that Corky had announced that she was going to have me, but there is something about like the golden child has arrived. That's a really good point. Cause I saw it as like, I, I think often, not always people have big families, but sometimes when you see young people who have a plan like this, mm-hmm. we're like, and I'm going to have 10 children. And then they get older and realize I do not want to have 10 children. That's a no. lot of, uh, the work that I don't think I'm here for yet. Also my poor body. Yes. Well, yeah. Or even adopting, you know, that many kids can be a handful and a lot of work and yeah. Well, and I, I definitely believe this is a family that bristles at adoption. Oh, very good. Oh, 120%. Murphy gives a Bootsy bad advice about the aces that she has. And, and this is really the section where we find out about the plan. And how Corky mm-hmm. is right on schedule. Corky does not remember this. But everyone remembers that Corky had a plan that when she was 15, uh, she planned out her entire life that she who she'd go to senior prom with, which she did. Mm-hmm. She'd be Miss America at 19, which she did. Married at 24, first baby at 25 and 27, president of the Junior League at 35, and go to Paris when she's 50. Wow. Yeah, and... Corky doesn't like the sound of that at all. Like this is the first you can see this is the first time where Corky is aware of how young she is. Yeah, and also just how much she's changed. But I think that's the thing is like I think to her when she was younger, 24 was practically old maid. Absolutely. Like 20, 
24 was her like she has lived a full life already it's time to get married as opposed to now she is 24 and i also can't believe she's 24 um and she's like i have not lived like it's faith performs it so beautifully like you see her hear the numbers and realize how young she is i mean i remember in high school in some class a teacher was like what age do you consider old and everyone said 25 and i said 60 (laughs) same and i was like what is wrong with you people yeah but that's it i think that most young people to them that's old Mm -hmm. I remember when I, oh no, I just, I remembered once, um, a a neighbor found out that I was, um, like 33 or 34 and asked my roommate who my surgeon was. Whoa. They were like 21. Yeah. It was hilarious. And so we go on to the townhouse for our favorite scene of the episode. Favorite scene. It is the middle of that night. We open on the townhouse that someone is pounding on the door. Murphy is half stumbling down the stairs in the middle of the night to answer the door. She yells, who is it? And the answer is Corky Sherwood. (laughs) Not, hey, Murphy, it's Corky. It's Corky Sherwood. (laughs) She opens the door. Question, though, is this is this trying to set up the jokes that it doesn't come out of nowhere? Uh Or or is it also just, yeah, okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I think it is all of the above. (laughs) All right, okay, go, go. Murphy opens the door to let Corky in, and Corky enters like a woman in mourning. Her scarf from earlier is draped oh. over her head. She like she's about to just like launch into like matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> like she it is the drama. And she takes it off her head and she says that, you know, thanks her for letting her in. She needs to talk to Murphy. She has this thought in her head and, and she was halfway through the party and it was only a thought. But by the time she got home, it was hammering inside her brain. And she sits down at that chair that is always conveniently at the front door (laughs) i assume to actually like put boots on and she just says murphy i don't want to get married she's so sincere when she says it it's so beautiful this is such a beautifully for all this is such a i know that you have a a quote from the new york times from candace that you were going to read about uh yes diane would you like me to read it please read it right now because i feel like this scene in particular sums up that quote Okay, awesome. Okay, yeah, I have this really great quote from the New York Times. There was a lot of press around the season two finale just because the show had been doing so well. They had a great second season. Um, They eventually will win the Emmy, which we'll talk about in our recap show. So this is the quote from Candace about Diane. There is a real power to the writing. It comes from a very confident and sure intelligence. I love that she has an edge. It's not interesting to me to play comedy that's benign. I loved Murphy's irony, her wit, her silliness. I love the occasional moments of dopiness. You get this incredible range with Diane. I love that quote because I feel like that is this scene. This scene mm-hmm. goes okay. from, from grounded sincerity into dopiness and back into like high romance. It, like This scene, to quote Stefan from SNL, this scene has everything. <laughs> Well played, Jesse. Thank you very much. So when Corky says the like Murphy, I don't want to get married, it like that performance of that line, you could take that out and put into a current drama. You could put it on a mm-hmm. current contemporary theater stage. Like it is just so simply stated. It's just two people talking. It's stunning. And what I love is the way that Candace receives it. She's genuinely shocked and not in a sarcastic way, not in a know-it-all mm-hmm. way. She's 
genuinely shocked and saying, what are you talking about? And Corky says she was at home and, you know, she was writing her and Will's names, doodling like girls do, which, hey, it's, it's a stereotype for a reason. And she says, and that's when I saw it. Corky, Sherwood Forest. I knew this joke was coming and I still laughed out loud, much like Murphy does into her face. <laughs> it is one of the few things that people who were casual watchers of the show always remember. And what I love about it. To this it, day. You don't put it together. No. You don't put it together it's, until she does. And that's what's brilliant about the joke. It's so good. And you know they were all giddy when they figured it out and named him Will Forrest. It lands so well. Ah, uh, standing ovation. Perfection. I, oh, God. It's so funny. And mm -hmm. what, Chef's kiss. And I love that they put in that Murphy genuinely laughs in her face <laughs> when she says it and then Corky she flees does. off to the couch it's so funny because you're just like even Murphy can't hold it in that's it's too good <laughs> the thing is that she owns it right yeah. because then she goes by the hyphenate name yeah and so she flees off to the couch and Murphy says says to Corky that she's just having cold feet it happens to everybody and she says maybe you should talk to Bootsy or Cookie or Kiki I'm sleepy and grumpy God, the writing is so good. I love that joke. It's so corny, but I really but love also, it so much. If you aren't fast enough, you won't get it because it's so smart in how dopey it is. Like <laughs> dopey. <laughs> oh God! But like, it's so smart. It's so smart. I oh, I, love, I it. love this. Love this scene. Corky says that she can't talk to them. Doesn't Murphy see? Until Corky was with her family that night, she hadn't realized how much she's changed. But now she knows. Mm. I oh, this little speech gets me. She says, if I get married and I become the wife Will wants and deserves, I'm not going to grow. I'll never experience life. And the way that Faith goes, life. Like, the... Oh. I know it's that Faith so does honest. that a lot, where her motion goes... Yeah, goes... like She lifts the line up. Mm -hmm. But I always love it because there's this sort of, like emotional desperation mm -hmm. with underneath that line that still is very quirky. This is something that Faith does so well that is so underappreciated. She does that little that little voice and then she like dramatically flops onto the couch. But I fully believe that this is not dramatics. Like this is not just a comedic performance. Like this yeah, per that's how this absolutely. person genuinely acts and spe speaks. And so therefore it really gets me. It really gets me when she says I'm not going to grow. Like she is someone who has realized that she has grown and she wants to keep growing. And like, she's so scared. It's so lovely. Yeah. The Corky in the pilot would have no sense that she would need to grow. No. This is, this, this scene and particularly this finale feels like what we talked about at the end of season one with Miles. Yep. It's growth, but it's also a growth within character relationships. Yep. As Murphy says in a little bit. Yeah, right. So so end of season 1, we we see a real arc between Murphy and Miles's relationship as well as Miles as a human and now we see this with Corky and we see it with her relationship with Murphy, which exactly mm -hmm. she says, go ahead. Well, and this is this conversation and but this moment in particular is where I'm what I was referencing when I said you can tell that two women wrote this. Agreed. Obviously with the help of the writers room, but this is something that is so specifically understood by these women who have careers 
and families and are trying to figure out like have have navigated this question and they figure mm-hmm. and they also have the talent to express that question mm-hmm. so murphy says yeah she murphy has experienced life and she's here to tell corky it's overrated <laughs> and corky says you can and- say that you've done everything i've done nothing and then she very bashfully admits that she's a virgin and Candace does this take to the audience. Mm, it, so it's practically a fourth wall break. If this was now, it'd be a straight to camera mockumentary take. It is so precise. And then just says, Frank owes me 50 bucks. Which also shows how cued into the female experience Murphy is uh-huh. and Frank isn't. She knew. And Corky says, I keep thinking is Will the first and last man I'll ever be with? She says life is passing her by. And then she stands up and does this amazing theatrical like stage moment of walking up behind and around the couch, which I love when, when actors can actually sell this kind of movement because it's so good. It's so mm-hmm. satisfying when they can. And she says, I need to do something wild. Find a man, any man, and go off with him into his world of intrigue with a free and reckless abandon. No, Corky, no. <laughs> Murphy says my one of my favorite lines, which is, Corky, you don't need to do that. After you hang a couple of heads from your mother's bracelet, you'll feel much better. Another incredible moment of two people speaking to each other. Corky kneels down in front of Murphy on the other side of the couch and tells her to look her in the eye and tell her she's wrong. Tell her she's wrong for having doubts and she won't go through with the wedding. Mm. And she's so, like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so many actions at once in this single line. And Murphy says this little speech and she says, boy, you have this annoying way of wheedling yourself into a person's life little by little until one day she realizes that if you weren't there anymore, she might miss you. That person really hates this. Corky, and she turns around and says, I'm not going to let you do anything you're not ready for. That line is so beautiful. Oh, it gives me chills. It gives me chills. I'm not going to let you do anything you're not ready for. That's what having an older woman in your life is about and it's also murphy is the first person who is not projecting what she thinks and wants onto corky mm-hmm. she's literally leaving it to what you're not ready for i may not do this i may think that you shouldn't do this but it is your choice and it is your life which is consistent through the episode because murphy's the yep. one that's like congratulate her say nice things mm-hmm. be supportive stop being jealous and that's why she can't talk to her family because her family would be like but this is what you do yeah they would they would never make time to consider if it's what corky wants cuz the surface of it is perfect perfect guy it's exactly what corky perfect wants. family he's from the south we know the family he's mm-hmm. pretty he's a lawyer it's it's this inability to perceive that what you're supposed to want and what you actually want could be two different things bingo so corky sweetly thanks her and hugs her and murphy tells her to get comfortable they'll talk all night if she has to Hmm. and as she walks away to go get some coffee corky asks can i have darjeeling tea i've never had darjeeling tea it always sounded too dangerous (laughs) so good murphy takes off it's just uh it's that perfect moment of going from sweet sincerity into dopey you know Mm -hmm. like into just like it sounds so dangerous (laughs) so eldon oh eldon Eldon. arrives in that moment he comes through the door with two cans of paint and freezes 
The way she says Corky. Eldon, hello. Eldon. The way she says his name is just like this breath of fresh air, this realization, this kind man. It's just there's so much in that way she says his name. And the hello. Like the hello. And the way he says hello, like you understand why this man is frozen in place. It's the way she speaks to him is the way he's always wanted her to speak to him, you know? And look at him. (laughs) Yeah. So he's frozen in place holding two paint cans. God knows what he's coming to paint. And he says, if you don't mind, I'll stay here. The very sight of you hurts me. Oh, Eldon. Eldon has has lucked into being saying all the things she really wants to hear in a very, in that moment. Yeah, what a, for what the a first build, time. What a build to the arc of his crush on her. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And again, second time in the episode where the woman is very aware of the man who has had a thing for her for so long and is newly acknowledging it. Mm, good point. And he says, I hear you're bethrowed. Bethrowed. Oh my God. I need to know if that's what the script said or if if, if Bobby just pronounced it that way it's incredible bethrowed. and she's bethrowed and she says maybe not she tells him and she gets closer and closer to him which is what's so good you could just see him just like oh and she says she tells him she's very confused right now so many things she's feeling so many she doesn't understand and eldon does a perfect eldon speech of saying you're not the first person to find yourself bewildered by love you know we tend to make it complex but it's really very simple love is to surrender completely hopeless to the depths of one's soul mm-hmm. which meant one beautiful two the timing of telling her that <laughs> is so perfect and she says you're a very mysterious man eldon bernicki <laughs> which i think the idea that she knows his full name probably just imploded oh, yeah. his heart mm-hmm. she says you've experienced life haven't you you know things oh no he says one or two <laughs> but do, do you notice how he says it though he says one or two half with like yes i do and half i really don't exactly he's like i hope i know the things you want to know yeah <laughs> and she says she wants him to show her his world and he says i would but suddenly i'm paralyzed he looks down quickly and says for the most part bless what a way what a way to drop uh, a joke i didn't get as a kid that i get now yep so satisfying. So mm-hmm. well done. And she asked him if he would like to take her for a drive. And he says, I believe I would. And she just walks out the door. And he is stuck there. What I love is she just like, okay. And she walks out the front door, leaves it open. He's standing there, still staring into the space where she had been. Mm-hmm. Then he looks up into the sky and mouths, thank you. And leaves the paint cans on the table and takes off. At that moment, our hero Murphy returns saying she doesn't have any tea, but would Corky settle for a Lipton cup of soup? She sees the paint cans, says Eldon, then shouts Eldon out the door as you hear his truck departing. Mm. And she closes the door as To Be Continued appears on the screen. Such a great setup. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Like, this is, if I'd been, I mean, I don't remember how I felt when I watched this the first time Mm because I was too young for me to fully remember my feelings in that moment. But watching this now, if I didn't know what was to come, I don't know what I would want to happen. Yeah. No, that's why it's so great. I'm like, oh, I honestly, part of me really wants like Eldon and Corky to work out. Because we don't know (laughs) Will. We have no investment Mm -mm. in Will. No. And again, Eldon, like Carl, just loves so deeply. 
Yeah, and I would say as the series went on, I never really had an investment in, in Will, unfortunately. But that's because no. they don't really seem to really be a good match. Yep. They're on paper, sure. But that's not how that works. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't. I want to remind everybody that um, you can go on our website and you can watch this episode unedited. You can now follow along with us until you can't because of <laughs> reasons. But if you've listened to this far into the series and you're Warner Brothers rights department I, I didn't post them <laughs> yep that, not us. not me but now we have them unedited which is so awesome so good there is particularly a, a one of my favorite sections of the season three finale is you cut from syndication and so you can all experience mm-hmm. the glory of it it's like new found footage it is quite fun. So this is a part one, and so we will be having a part two, which is its own self-contained episode. Uh, we are excited to be back. Uh, you can join us on our Patreon, where we will post special things, sometimes cut moments, episodes early, interviews early, really whatever you know we think you might enjoy or people request or are interested in, and then you can help us literally be able to continue with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast.